that was a sad laugh. That was a no, sad clown laugh. That was actually. You know what laugh I like? You remember the movie Better Off Dead? <laughs> I know what you're talking about. You when, know. When, when he's like, he's like, you should, you're cute, but you should, you should shave her. And then and and Booger's like, <laughs> yeah, he's just like laughing the whole time. He walks up to him in the middle. He's like, <laughs> he just oh, like can't stop laughing. I love that movie. That, I, that is my favorite part. And I have done that to people when they like say something that I just think is stupid. I'll just, just laugh start laughing him. like that. And I won't stop. And they're like, what? Yeah. I can't do his laugh, but it was it was great. Oh, he had a great laugh. I he just really bought that movie again. Did you really? I didn't have it for years, and I just repurchased it. Nice. Yes. Nice. Natalie had never seen it. It was what? kind of oh. lost on her. You know I, what? She's, she's young enough that I was she gonna say it. she's yeah. I don't. I don't think Amanda's really gonna be into that either. Unfortunately, it's, even watching it now, it's a little bit. Uh, uh, it's not. It's not a hard watch or anything, but no. you you recognize the the flaws and the yeah. It's a little it's a little campy. I mean, you know, it's it's and it's definitely set in the eighties. It's yeah. an eighties movie. You can tell very much. But I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah, I liked it. Imagine someone throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. <laughs> That's pretty early on for throwing away white boy jokes. Like I that, know, I right? That was kind of that was kind of new for its time. Yeah. But that was another one of those movies that gave me the wrong impression of what it was like to put a car back together. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing like that. You know, they made it look so simple, right? You put some tires on there and kind of wash it up and boom, boom, you're ready to go. No, I was putting together a 56 Chevy because my dad used to like gather cars. Like we had probably six Mm. in the backyard when I was growing up and and he was like, you know, it was kind of like Mr. Miyagi. Like, pick which which one you want and you can restore it and you can have it. And he had all the parts and everything and I was so gung-ho. I was like, oh, it's going to happen. So I got my buddies (laughs) together one weekend. We're putting it back together. We're we're, we're like, you know, scraping for the engine block for the mounts to put the engine back in and all those things. Right. We spent one weekend doing it and then I was like, fuck it, I'm out. (laughs) It did not come together as fast as it did. Well, you know why? You were missing, you were missing the French foreign exchange student i was missing that we didn't have the right montage music it's true you gotta have the proper montage music (sighs) yeah yeah no that was that that true that was very deceptive at how easily his car went together yeah that and mr miyagi that Mm -hmm. was misleading Mm -hmm. all that stuff i almost bought a 74 mustang okay it was all in pieces Okay. But it was complete. They had everything for it. It was just basically... Was it, it, was, it was the Mach 1 body style with the longer uh, front end? or? See, you know better than I do. Then, so I'm not, maybe I'm not sure. Maybe it was, oh, maybe... Oh, did I say 71? Yeah. It was probably a 65, something like that. Okay. It wasn't a fastback. Okay. Um, this is when I first moved back to St. John's. All right. And uh, they wanted just two grand for it. In hindsight, oh, nice. I should have... You should've probably should have picked it up. I should have yeah. picked it up. I looked at it, but then at the time, I was also more interested in buying more guitars and more amps. Well, you know, so, you got to have your priorities. Yeah, I, can, I so can understand that. I didn't get it, and someone else did, and I think he wrecked it. Oh, I think he crashed it. Yeah. Now, I had a, uh, I had my 63 Pontiac Bonneville when I lived out in California that somebody had been restoring, so I actually got it from someone who had been in the process of restoring it. Okay. Um, so it was, it was painted up. It looked really nice. It ran fairly well, um, but... It was a big boat. It was 18 feet long. <laughs> it was six feet wide. Yeah. It was a four-door hardtop. So when you put down all the windows, there was no bar in the middle. Yes. And so it was like yes. one big window on the side. Um, it had power everything. Power windows. Had a power bench front seat. Like it was a luxury car at the time, apparently. 
And this guy had been restoring it, but then he bought a brand new Jeep and needed to make payments on the Jeep. So he uh, sold the Pontiac. So I actually bought that because I was, you know, we had just moved to California and I was like, well, I don't want the truck that I've been driving. So, yeah. you know, because I had been driving a beater truck in, in the White Mountains, which was fine for the White Mountains. <laughs> but yeah. in my mind, yeah. in my mind, you know, I was like, okay, now I'm living in California. I got to do something a little bit different, right? You know, I, I love the car. I really did. But... You know, it, it later on it had transmission problems and mm-hmm. I took it to a shop and I knew the guy who owned the shop and he basically sat me down and told me, he's like, look, it's going to cost you roughly about a thousand dollars to get this fixed, but it won't be a permanent fix. He's like, the problem is, is the type of transmission you have the very next year Pontiac did away with that transmission. Yeah. So it's tough to find parts. We have to kind of machine some stuff to make it work. And he's like, and you'll keep having problems with it until you can afford to like change out the entire transmission. And I was like, well, you know, I was, what, 17 at the time? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm not going to keep doing that. So, yeah. or actually, I think I was 16 at the time. So were, you bagging, and, were you bagging groceries or what were you doing? Yeah, I was, I was bagging groceries. Um, so I wasn't making lots of money or anything, yeah. you know, and I was still living at home. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll go ahead and get rid of it. So I got rid of it and got myself a motorcycle. <laughs> and I loved my motorcycle. But looking back, I wish, I still wish I had the car. To this day, I still wish I still see motorcycles. And I still kind of want to get one, mm-hmm. but I'm also a little bit afraid. You know, I won't lie. It's been a long time since I've ridden a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Um, since '97 or '98 was the last time I actually rode one. Um, so because it's been so long, I'm a little bit leery about getting back on one. But yeah. I, st- I still want one. You still want it? Mm-hmm. I, I actually really like. And I might it might be a heresy for like the hardcore out there, but. I like some of the smaller bikes that Harley's making now. Mm-hmm. They're a little, I mean, for a guy with short legs, they, no, they, they got, kind of appeal to me. The Sportster is actually pretty nice. You know, well, I've got, always liked the Sportster. Yeah, yeah, they come with a nice size engine. The only thing I don't like about the Sportster and the 883 is that they, uh, the small tank they put on them. Yeah, you can't because get they, very far. No, no, they're like a three-gallon tank. But you can that. swap that out. You can. No problem. You can. Um, and, and if you find the right one, it looks still looks good yeah. on there. So that's, I mean, if I was going to get one, I, I probably would go for one of those yeah, they're because they're a little like bit lighter. A, yeah, not built for a long touring bike kind of thing either. It's no. Around mm-hmm. town. But I mean, it would still be great to like buzz up the mountain. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Kind of for like, that would be great. I mean, if you, if you had a Sportster and you changed out the tank, like you could take that for a cruise. You could yeah. go, you could, I mean, one of the things I've always wanted to do is take a motorcycle and basically go from here to Globe. Up to White Mountains, go over the Mogollon, so you're oh, going yeah. like pay, through uh, through Payson, absolutely, and then back down through Phoenix, and then Beautiful come on ride. back. I think yeah. it's a gorgeous ride. I love the Mogollon Rim. That, and I'd probably end up actually going from Payson to uh, Prescott, yeah, and then back down through Phoenix and stuff. But yeah, that that would be a nice ride. That'd be that'd be a gorgeous Have you ever, ride. Ever gone up the back way like through um, New Mexico and up? Along, like closer to the border and in through to the back to the back side of the White Mountains. You know way? what? I probably have with my parents and stuff because I know we went up to uh, Four Corners mm-hmm. when I was a kid, which kind of is I think up around the back way and everything. Yeah. Um, so I've been to Four Corners a couple times, so I know I've probably probably done that. I just I've don't only remember. Done it it. Once that I can remember. I mean, because I'm yeah, I'm with you. Like when we were kids, we probably went that way. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a lot slower, but it is a beautiful drive. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Yeah. You know what I remember as a kid because my father was a school teacher and everything. And we traveled three months out of the year. I remember going to New Mexico and checking out some cliff dwellings there. And I remember just the area that we were in for those cliff dwellings mm. was just absolutely gorgeous. Now, one of the days that we were there, I seem to remember it was overcast and raining, but it was like, you know, it was an area where you had pine trees and stuff. Yeah. And I love pine trees and the mountains when it's raining. <laughs> you know, after, after rain, it cools everything down. 
It's just gorgeous. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to go back one of these times. I want to go back to those cliff dwellings. You know, Plus, we would have had a lot of fun, like, camping. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, if we'd known each other when we were younger mm-hmm. and not as many responsibilities. And oh, my God, like yeah. That, we would have had fun, some fun doing oh, some had We would have had some great yeah. times, man. There's, like, all kinds of places I want to check out. Like, you know, just recently, Amanda and I took the kids up to uh, to the Payson area. And we, uh-huh. we basically... Spend a day just kind of tooling around, checking out the area, trying to see what's up there so we get an idea of where we want to go camping and what we want to do and everything. Um, Because Christopher Creek, I remember camping up there as a kid. Yeah. Uh, So we went up there, uh, ran around for a little bit, spent the night up there, and then ran around some more. And it was was fun, man. I loved it. I really admire the way that you guys still make the time to do that kind of stuff. You just get up and do it. Like, I'm terrible at it. Like, it's like all I can do to get up and... Like edit a podcast, <laughs> but you guys get up and like you go, you know, you load everybody up and you go for a drive. Like I'm just not, I'm not good at that. It takes me a lot longer. Like my prep time mm-hmm. for any type of camping or excursion mm-hmm. is is so great that it, it keeps me from doing it. You know what though? If if you do it a couple times, you know, you'll get it down to where your prep time becomes low, less and less. Sure. Like our, ours uh, has become less and less as we've done it more. Okay. We find certain okay. things that we like that work for us, and we find certain things that we don't like, so we don't do those things. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we told you about how uh, we discovered that if you uh, take a potato, cut it up, put it in a bottle, and put yes. water in there, and it'll keep it from turning brown, and yeah. then you can, like, pour it out later and, you know, use the potatoes for, like, cooking and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, there's little tricks that you find. Yeah. And so we've been doing all these little tricks and stuff. This last trip was kind of weird because... I'm not used to packing the kids up and not having to worry about sleeping bags and tents and loading oh, sure. stuff on top of the vehicle. Yeah. Everything went in the back and there was still enough room I could see out of the back, which yeah. was weird. <laughs> because we knew we were yeah. only going to be there a couple of days yeah. and then we were going to uh, stay in a hotel. Yeah. Because our plan was just to kind of do some day trips and kind of tool around the area and just kind of get a feel for the area. Now, when we were up there, one of the days, Amanda wanted to go to this uh, falls up there. And sure. I can't remember what it's called now. Um but we couldn't get to it because apparently the road had been washed out or something because of all the rains that they've had lately. Mm-hmm. So we didn't actually go. But uh, that day we were tooling around somewhere else. I went down a road and I'm like, hey, there's a control road here. Let's see where that goes. <laughs> so we took a control road just for fun. Just we didn't have any plans. You yeah, know, nothing no, big. Just go and check it out. I didn't honestly know if I'd ever be able to get off the control road again or if yeah. I'd be driving there the rest of my life. You know, I just had no idea. <laughs> but we... We did it anyway, and you remind me of my father that way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he did a lot of that stuff. My, my dad, dad did too. Dad, where are we going? <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. And yeah, go. my dad'd be like, "Where are we going? We're going this way." Yeah, like well, that's a silly question. Why would you ask? Yeah. Oh, it's obvious. We're going this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, my dad used to do that too, but I'd like to. Uh, and one of the things we tried to do too on that same weekend, because that was the same weekend where we went to um, where we went south for one day. Mm-hmm. We went down to. Uh, was it Bisbee, mm-hmm. where the mine's at and stuff? Sure. Yeah, we went down to Bisbee, but on the way back, we tried to find some ghost towns people had told us about. Yeah. So we got out on some dirt roads and stuff and didn't find any ghost towns, but I managed to bottom out the Senefo trooper. <laughs> um, I was cruising down the road. I was going a little bit fast. Oh. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You, I, hit a, I hit a dip just right. Yeah. And I saw the dip just a little too late because I actually hit the brakes. <laughs> but I, you know what's coming. Yeah, I knew I was going to hit. Yeah. And sure enough, and man, I think Amanda was pissed at me. Yeah, she's like, you know, you don't have to drive so crazy. And I'm like, I'm not really driving crazy. I'm just yeah. kind of having fun because I'm out on some dirt roads. And that's what you do when you're on dirt road. Yeah, I mean, I realize my vehicle is not necessarily made for that, but 
You know, is that a phone? It's, yeah, the, it's a little bit off road. Come it's, on, it's a little bit. It's got a little bit higher ground clearance. So I mean, yeah. it'd be different if I had taken her like Hyundai Sonata like or something. Sa- I was gonna say like that, <laughs> like the Sonata. Whoa. No, like well, right we, we knew it, we knew that we were gonna go try and look for some ghost towns, and there might be some dirt roads. So I told her, I'm like, well, if we're doing that, let's take this the Hyundai Santa Fe. Yeah. And so we took the Santa Fe Trooper and and took that down there. I mean, the other option was to take the uh, the Beast the the Suburban, yeah. which has even a little bit higher ground clearance, and it's, it is four-wheel drive. It is a beast. It is a beast, yeah. but it doesn't get as good as gas mileage. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing. Yeah, and since well, we didn't have a lot of stuff to pack, we're like, we don't really need that. I'm really kind of a little surprised, I mean, um, that you went uh, haunted house, ghost town looking. Was it just for the experience because i mean because that brings us back around october it's still october in fact in fact in fact it is let's put october a 31st in it. it's october 31st here yeah. in the red room actually everywhere but i mean it's october 31st <laughs> and uh it brings us back around to the spooky stuff mm-hmm. um does she uh you're saying you were just recently introducing the kids let's go ahead and confess on on the uh, podcast of what a parent you are oh yeah i'm introducing a ter- the terrible kids parent, to right? the halloween yeah i, I and, was showing the kids the uh the movies yeah. halloween with yeah. michael myers the the killer i think it's responsible <laughs> that you're watching it with them though. right right i watch yeah. it with them and i kind of gauge what their you know kind of their level of sure. fear so and i think i don't think either either one of them were fearful you know my my stepdaughter didn't watch my stepson was watching and my 8 year old was watching and uh, my 8 year old you know she loves all the stuff that her mom does anyway like with the surgeries and everything so yeah she likes actually watching youtube and watching surgeries so blood and stuff doesn't bother her sure i don't think well it didn't bother me either the blood doesn't bother me Mm-mm. there's other scary things that bother me but yeah. so that's cool so as a family you guys were Looking for spooky for ghost spots. towns, yeah. Looking not for really, ghost towns. not really looking for like spooky abandoned. spots. So just kind of like abandoned. Town. Like I mean, they call them ghost towns, but they're really just abandoned towns or old rundown. I watched buildings. too many episodes of Scooby Doo. When I hear ghost town, I expect <laughs> ghosts. I want there to be something haunted, <laughs> right? So I get that. So I, that was my misread of what you're saying. So yeah. okay, well, I mean, so when I was a kid, my dad took us out to some some ghost towns and stuff, and I remember tooling around inside the buildings, and my dad or my uncle, somebody found like a really old coin. Or something. Yeah. And it was really cool just kind of to explore. Sure. And I know there's a lot of legends. Yeah. And there's a lot of legends here in Southern Arizona about like, you know, like buried treasures and stuff. And there's, I I forget, there's a canyon somewhere, Skull Canyon or something, where there's supposed to be treasure. Somebody's supposedly hidden treasure in that canyon or something. I think there's like Superstition Mountains. There's there's something going on up there. Mm -hmm. Is that that the same thing? Uh, That I don't know. I couldn't couldn't say. Oh, you don't know the Superstition Springs, Mm -hmm. the Superstition Mountains? No, I'm unfamiliar uh, with that. They're, they're supposed to be haunted as well or spooky. Like people hike up in there and disappear. Right? Oh my gosh. That okay, kind of yeah. Thing, yeah. Well, spooky There's... is one thing. I mean, abandoned towns are another. Okay. Well, I mean, like I'm looking for more like history and stuff. Like, okay. Well, let's and I wouldn't mind history. finding treasure. Well, let me ask you a history question. Okay. Let's let's. I want to take it into that spooky. Set. Again, it's Halloween. It is Halloween. I want to talk about something spooky. <laughs> and here's my spooky question. You want okay. to talk about history? Like the, I want to talk about the origin of monsters and what purpose they serve. Mm. Last time you were in this room with uh, Guillermo. With Guillermo. We, yeah, we mm-hmm. talked a lot about like our favorite horror films and monsters from those movies. Mm-hmm. But today I wanted to kind of talk about the origin of those monsters and what purpose they serve. And uh, the, the concept of fear and going into these scary movies and tending to scare ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm really fascinated by all that stuff because... I, I like a certain amount of discomfort in my entertainment. <laughs> I wouldn't say necessarily fear, but maybe. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I mean, that stuff's handed down 
um, from generation, generation, generation. We're talking about the evolution of fear. Well, I know when we were here last time uh, and speaking with Guillermo, you know, he talked about, uh, he thought it was interesting that certain across cultures, you can find certain stories or certain descriptions uh, uh, throughout the world. And, you know, he, he posited that perhaps that might be an indication of something, you know, greater Sure. Or something really, there being something out there, and my theory is that, like, you know, uh, if you look at it that way, across cultures, you have these different gods that a lot of them do similar things. So I think what that shows in my mind is just that as human beings, we have more in common than we really think. Sure, that you have different cultures that can come up with similar ways to explain the unknown. So if you want to talk about the origin of like monsters and such, you know, I, I'll be honest, I've never really looked too much at the origins, like where they come from or how well, they can just theorize. how they get there. Well, one theory yeah, I did hear years it. ago was, you know, the the idea that dragons perhaps were invented or came about because someone had seen the, the remain right the remains of fossils somewhere. Sure, which would make sense to me. I could see that. I see the logic. In and that. if if you find other types of fossils, I mean, and you don't know, you know, you don't have a creature to relate it to, then you know, perhaps you do the same thing. You create, okay. create a tale around this, you know. Um, I could see that across cultures. You know, we've got different things. You know, we talked last time about, like, the Yeti, the Abominable Snowman, <laughs> Sasquatch. We just kind of brushed across that we, stuff, we, sure. we brushed across it because that stuff doesn't really exist. But it is interesting <laughs> that, uh, you know, people have come up with these these similar ideas. So we, we come up with these ideas, and we have – you're talking about like this kind of almost universal uh, subconscious – thing like whether wherever the the culture is erupting mm-hmm. where, wherever mankind is evolving mm-hmm. that we have maybe um these primal instinctual creations coming to mind mm-hmm. that's what you that's what you posit right is that's that, that's my my theory yes is that regardless of like locale that there are things that go bump in the night or we have like a so okay let me let me go back to one thing here inherited memory instinct the idea of instinct like um you don't have to teach uh, baby birds to be afraid of snakes, right? Right. You don't, you know, and they've never seen a snake before. So there's some type of inherited memory going on, something, right? Like instinct, whether you want to you call know, it inherited I've, memory or instinct. I've heard about that. I've heard about the inherited memory uh, theory as it applies to humans, and I heard about those years ago. Now, whether or not mm-hmm. I believe in that, I'm not quite certain. Um, but I do think that because of the fact that you know mankind originated in the same area, right? You know, we have what what it was what was all the continents when they were all together was that called Pangea? Pangea? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a commonality there, right? Before before the land split and the the oceans came in and everything, there was a commonality. So, perhaps some of these same ideas endured you know, you and I have talked before about like... Uh, so maybe just word of mouth, like the storytelling. Right, right, like storytelling. We've talked before about like about like sitting around the fire, sitting around sure. a campfire, sharing stories and stuff. And that used to be the way in which like people would learn about their history, right? They would sit around the campfire, they would sit somewhere, and they would be told this history. It's mm-hmm. word of mouth, it's verbal. Yeah. So I could see where, you know, uh, different cultures as they expand and move out into different areas could perhaps take these stories with them. And then, you know, once you have word of mouth, right, it's not written, it's not set in stone. So there are times when things change, you know, somebody says something slightly differently, tells the story a little bit differently. What's that game that people play where you go telephone, around? The telephone game. Telephone game, right, right. You you tell somebody one thing and then see if it's the same thing when it gets back to you and then yeah. compare the differences. I mean, it's, it's that same type of idea, 
right? People sharing stories, passing these ideas on, and then through the passing of the story, through retelling time and time and time again, something gets changed. Not necessarily lost, but perhaps expanded on. And I mean, you know, they've done studies that show that memories work that way. Memories. Oh, every time you remember <clears throat> a memory, mm-hmm. you're changing it. Right. You alter it each time. Right, exactly. So that's the same thing that could be happening in this instance with these stories. You know, and, and there again, when Guillermo was here last time, you know, he posited that, you know, it was interesting to see these these different ideas coming from different cultures. And, you know, I told him, I think, you know, we used to call it magic, but now it's called science because oh, I, we've, we've proven yeah, these oh, different sure, things. Of course. So I think really what it is, is these ideas came about because we were trying to explain certain, certain things that we didn't understand. Okay. You know? I, I, I'm fine with that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I get it. You betcha. Right. Well, no, no, I, and and I know you 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 look a little disappointed by my answer to this. Oh no, 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 you no, know you're, regarding you're regarding no. monsters and whatever. No. And and I do love the idea of it. I don't believe in it, you know, <laughs> but I love the well, idea of monsters. Why do we monsters? create monsters? Why do we create? Mon- I, I get what you're saying, and I mm-hmm. actually I'm with you. There wasn't there was a core origination of humankind, mm-hmm. and from that those stories could have been passed on and whether or not you believe in just the, the word of mouth, the, the storyteller, the bard passing it on um, a, a verbal tradition or whether you believe in uh, genetic memory of some kind. Either way, we all started someplace the same. Mm-hmm. Right. We have a common ancestry. Right? So that all came, that, so I get that. And I'm, and I'm not arguing that point at all. What I'm saying is, is and I have, I have some reasons for it but why did we start creating monsters why the the monsters in the dark why why did i mean here's here's one reason to teach lessons mm-hmm. no i was I, it's it's funny you say that because i was going to say i think a lot of it uh, you know in fact well maybe not a lot of it but there's uh, definitely a good amount that originated probably to teach us to be afraid of certain things yes right you know, there was like, you, you don't do this because the boogeyman will get you. Exactly. You it's, it's like for moral <clears throat> tales, morality tales, like mm-hmm. you need to behave in this way or right. the monster, this monster X is going to get you. Mm-hmm. Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga is going to steal you away. Krampus is going to like come down the chimney and eat your face mm-hmm. or whatever Krampus does. I'm not really sure what Krampus does. I don't know what um, Krampus does either. I'm not really I'd have to look that Krampus up. Krampus ignorant, I'll admit. Yeah. But I'm just saying like that the origin of monsters is really interesting and the fact that we went from being afraid of monsters and using these monsters to teach a lesson and, t- and, and get the, the tribe to behave, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like social control mm-hmm. um, to then creating them at whim and for our entertainment mm-hmm. and for our entertainment to be then scared again. Right. right. That's just an interesting path that the monster has taken in humans' evolution. Well, see, and I, I wonder if perhaps it's it's because of evolution, right? You know, there was a point in time where everything should should have scared us. Sure. You know, to, to in order for us to live, in order for us to propagate the species and continue on as a species, we had to be afraid of everything because we didn't understand everything. Well, being afraid is a better, <clears throat> is a, is, you know, we have a cultural belief that being afraid is less manly or not mm-hmm. tough. Right. But... Better to err on the side of caution that there's a monster, there's a, a saber-toothed tiger in that cave that's going to eat you. That guy who's afraid, who's concerned and cautious mm-hmm. is going to survive longer. So well, fear, exactly. evolutionary fear. Right. Evolutionarily speaking, fear leading you to run away from something 
would would not only you know preserve your life perhaps but would also preserve reserves like sure you know uh, energy stores mm-hmm. uh you know when there's rather food shortage fighting. and stuff rather than fighting because mm-hmm. think of the amount of energy that takes to stay and fight uh-huh. right um so that i think evolutionarily and, and granted this is just my opinion here no, evolutionarily i think fear would be the way to go would be the way to go <laughs> yeah you know and we see it all the time right in the horror movies right yeah the, the guy who runs away lives to fight another day sure <laughs> most of the time as long as he's not running upstairs right right or <laughs> right not, run out of the house not the to house. the graveyard <laughs> yeah so that's what i'm interested in i, I think mm-hmm. it's really interesting that we took the time to to create monsters and create these tales and definitely some of them are made to scare children like oh the there's a monster under the bridge. Don't go down in the, the water. It'll mm-hmm. suck you under. Right. Um, and and well, then where we are today. Well, we, I mean, you know, that just goes to show like how far we've come, right? Mm-hmm. Evolutionarily speaking, we don't have to worry now about about our reserves because we most of us, and granted this is like, you know, not in every country, but in America anyway, you usually go down to the corner store or the grocery store and get your food, right? Sure. You know, we're not hunter-gatherers anymore. We don't have to worry about our, our, our reserves as far as like energy goes. So, what do we do in the meantime? How do we how do we turn that energy? You what do we do with that it? Exactly to the place where my theory has percolated in my mind as of late. In the last discussion with Guillermo, you're talking. Okay, let's keep in mind what you were just talking about. We've gotten mm-hmm. to a place where we're comfortable and we don't need to have the monsters as much because we have we're lucky. This first world problem here in the U.S. Whatever. And I asked Guillermo what he thought about, like, the stuffed Cthulhu's. Mm-hmm. You know, you see kids who've, like, cutified, and there's a culture of cutifying the monster. Right. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to alienate our millennial audience of one. <laughs> and I'm going to say that that is a direct result of a cultural evolution of people who don't have accountability or any need to answer for what they're doing. So you have these monsters that should have been teaching lessons that are supposed to be scary, and now you have an entire generation that's making them cute and fun, and we embrace the monster. The monster's not scary. It's because they don't have the same responsibilities and the same fears. There's no moral like incumbency upon them to, to do what's right and to take care of one another because there's no monsters anymore. The monsters are, are just cute and fluffy now. And again, this is a real... Uh, this is the infancy of this theory that I'm thinking about. Gotcha. So gotcha. I don't I haven't feel a little like got it all figured out, but it, it interests me that we've cutified the monsters and then in the instances sometimes monstrified the cute things. Mm-hmm. We've made like little fluffy stuffed teddy bears that that make scary faces with things. Like it's an interesting twist to the monster evolution in humanity's existence. Well, I could see that. I mean, I know you and I have had conversations regarding millennials and trying to understand them because we come from a much different generation. I know, and And, I try not to. Well, I was just going to say, because, you know, you're talking about like a generation that perhaps doesn't uh, view morality the same or Mm -hmm. take responsibility for things the the way that are perhaps... Maybe I shouldn't have used the word morality, but I mean, like social responsibility. Social responsibility. I mean, they're growing up in a generation where we have things like Facebook and Twitter and and things are instantaneous, right? You have instantaneous gratification. You know, people will put something on Facebook, not because they really feel they have something to say, but because they want to see how many likes they get or how many responses they get. And they've been conditioned to look for these things. Um, I believe I, I was talking to you one time about uh, that author, Simon Sinek, 
who had talked a little bit about millennials and going into the workplace. And he had stated that, you know, their, their millennials are facing a couple of problems that aren't necessarily there. One being that they had these parents who babied them and trained them to learn that mommy and daddy can take care of everything. This is interesting. Right. Okay. So mommy and daddy, you know, complain to teachers because teachers aren't giving the children the grades that the parents think the children should get. Yeah. You know, regardless of what the child earned. Uh, they're growing up in a generation where everybody gets a participa- participation trophy, right? Mm-hmm. And and what they've shown from, and this is, again, I'm paraphrasing Simon Sinek. I actually haven't looked into this per se. But what according to what he said, there is uh, research out there that has shown that in giving everybody a participation trophy, it actually had a negative effect, much like the D.A.R.E. program mm-hmm. from the 80s, right? Their program was supposed to be there to teach kids to stay off drugs, but really it introduced kids to drugs and made it more available to them. Really? I, I haven't heard that study. We're going to have to do a, a secondary like look up on that for sure. Yeah, they, they, they've shown that the D.A.R.E. program did not work because it, it actually... <laughs> well, we just, it, we, we just it called actually, the Drugs Are Really Exciting program. Right, and I mean, right. We just twisted that around and made it whatever we wanted. Right. Hey, and welcome to the uh, Red Room. Actually, we just had a guest just step in. Um, what's happening, Justin? Justin, just drop, drop by. Yo, what's going on? Yo, what's going on? Well, and see, and perhaps <laughs> Justin can speak to this because, you know, Justin uh, has studied psychology uh, much more extensively than I have. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, I was just paraphrasing what Simon Sinek was talking about and saying that like these, you know, these participation trophies that, stu- that students were given uh, backfired because the students who got the participation trophies felt worse because they didn't earn it. And then for the people who, you know, got the 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 first second place trophies and stuff, they felt worse because everybody got a trophy. So, you know, they question why they have to put in the, the effort for it. So why do I have to work hard if everybody's going to get the trophy? Right. Exactly. And the people who didn't work hard, they're like, Oh, it doesn't matter because I got a trophy anyway. Well, no, actually what, the, what, according to what he said anyway, was that the, the research had shown that the people who got the trophy because, you know, just because they were showed up uh-huh. felt bad about that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. they, it, it, it affected their self-esteem Wow. because they got a trophy. They, they didn't earn. And wow, okay. So I mean, so you when you're talking about like you know the millennials and 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 everything, uh, according to Simon Sinek, you know, and granted this is, I'm just paraphrasing here, he says you're you're dealing with uh, a generation that's been dealt a bad hand because they've been taught these things that you know everybody gets a participation trophy, mommy and daddy can solve everything, and then they get out in the real world, world uh, excuse me, real world, and find out that's not true. Yeah. And then you know when you look at it from a certain perspective, like you were saying. You know, with morality and responsibility, um, I, I do recall one other thing Simon Sinek said was that uh, he said, according to millennials, they don't feel, many of them don't feel uh, like they have true friends. You know, if you were to ask him, like, well, if your friend was coming to your house but then got invited to a party, what would this person do? They, they would say, oh, well, they'd go to the party instead of coming to my house like they had originally promised mm-hmm. to do. Because they don't, they don't actually feel as though their friends are, are good, close friends that they can count on. So what do they do when they have issues? They turn to social media. You know, so, and you and I are coming from a different generation where you know, we were taught lo- things like loyalty. Like mm-hmm. friendship meant that you were loyal to your friends. Sure. You believed in your friends. You supported them. Uh, My friend is having a drink. I'm having a drink. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and thank you very much for giving me this drink because I really appreciate saying. it. <laughs> and with that, we're actually going to have to take a little break here. And uh, we'll be right back with Mike and Justin in the Red Room. We're not actually taking a break. It's just a fun new thing. He, likes, he, likes, to throw breaks. he likes to throw breaks in there at random. I don't know why. It's... <laughs> 
<laughs> probably good for editing so you can just yeah you have room for breaks that's good enough yeah as long as you're bouncing right around how's here, it how's it sound in your ears i can hear it fine okay all right cool well i mean do you need yeah. to turn it down at all because I, I turned mine down a little bit because it was a little bit loud for me no i'm fine if it's too loud, you're too old. That's why I keep telling Amanda. <laughs> this one goes she... to 11. No. <laughs> Mine go to 11 as well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and we're back. Welcome back to From the Red Room. Uh, tonight's recoil episode. Um, we've been touching on... Uh, we, we talked about a few different things, but we're kind of... Oops. Talking about the origin of monsters, what purpose they serve, and uh, making our way over to the, the uh, topic of, of fear and its place in uh, our lives, especially today in, in our uh, kind of first world, first worldy at least, um, easy, easy life. You know, why, why do we seek out monsters? Why do we keep creating them? So. I was going to say, how'd you get to entitlement? Like that came, seemed like a pretty far jump. Well, we, we, we were talking a little bit about like monsters, you know, like created in the past as a way to uh, teach fear to, uh, to kids and to, to keep them morals, safe. Yeah. yeah teach them yeah. morals. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Mitch had, has this theory that he's working on regarding millennials and monsters and a lack, perhaps, of... <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, yes, they are a topic of conversation for me, okay? Yeah. They are. <laughs> that, that just, honestly, you know, I'm sorry, but that just kind of makes me think of that Geico commercial where the kids are, like, <laughs> like running away from the guy in the mask, and they're like, let's, let's run this way. And they're like, the girl's like, why can't we just go get in that running car over there? And he's like, what, are you crazy? He's like, let's go hide out in the shed behind the chainsaws. <laughs> I haven't seen that commercial. Oh, it makes me laugh good. every time. It's awesome. So my thought is that you have an entire generation that hasn't really had to answer for their themselves. And I understand, like, Mike's point of view. Like, we, we came from... Um, that generation was raised by the flower power generation. That wasn't his words, but I'm, I'm injecting my own thought into it. You have a generation that was very much kind of, t- like, touchy-feely and very much wanting to embrace. And they were coming, being raised, from, and I think we've touched on this before, being raised from a generation that, you know, the baby boomer generation, their their parents fought World War II. You had like a much gruffer, harder-edged um, culture. Upbringing. upbringing. And then you had the, the hippie generation, 60s, 70s, you know, with love. And so their children, by by extension, were probably going to be raised in a, in a, in a fashion that was a little bit over-nurturing, maybe a little bit cushy. We want to make everybody feel good about themselves. Yeah, make everybody feel good about themselves and everything's going to be all right. But I, I'm saying that it, it probably took a toll and maybe we're seeing those results. But I want to know the, the impact it had on our monsters of today. Like what has it done to them, the, like the fairy tale, to the monster that's there to teach you? Like we, it's not any secret that Jason was killing them, the kids that were having sex. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is kind of puritanical, like 80s. American values, you know, that kind of thing. So it's like, oh, the kids are doing drugs. They're having premarital oh, sex. You got to kill them. Thought. You got to kill them dead. So now, where are we? And I'm, I don't have an opinion on it. I'm not trying to make a statement on it. But where are we now when it comes to monsters? You know, I think a lot of it stems... I, I don't think there's a common thread anymore. And a lot of that stems probably from just kind of how confused this generation is. Okay. Like the last conversation you were talking about, how... We we overpraise children, and then when they're overpraised, they understand that they didn't earn it, and then it then affects their self-esteem. Um, I think a lot of that just carry over, carries over with they just receive mixed messages. Like this whole generation, it's it's be exceptional, but nobody's exceptional. Be an yeah. individual, but everybody's equal. But everybody's special. It, and there's no, there's no right answer to it. And I, I think they just 
this millennial generation hasn't decided what they want to be yet. And I think that's fair because when you talk about like boomers or Gen X, like where they were at at this stage, the, the younger generation's always viewed as the slackers, always viewed as the ones right? that don't know what the fuck they're doing. It's true. But they eventually develop an identity. And I think mm. with all, with the political climate, I think they're being pushed to make that identity. Because it was the whole get out and vote, but wait, your vote doesn't matter because Trump's in office anyway. So I think that's just driving them to really be out there and make a difference. And unfortunately, you don't attain positions of power until you reach a certain age. Sure. So all these influencers will eventually come to their own and eventually have an audience. And I think that's when this generation is going to develop its identity. But up until then... I mean, it just it just feels like a lost generation. And I think that's why when you look at like the old 80 slasher movies, like it was, you know, like you said, kids who were doing drugs, kids who were having sex. I think right now most of our horror is very abstract and there's no like common themes anymore because of this whole we don't know where we're at. We don't know where we're going and everything just feels kind of uncertain at this point. Maybe that's why the sudden like return to things like Lovecraftian horror because there's these cosmic horror, this, this cosmic elder god without form, without like that challenges even your own sanity, is not just there to punish you for like uh, going against traditional Christian beliefs or something. It's there to just devour. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think it's an escape too. Okay. I mean, when we look at like slasher films, what are those based off of? Serial killers. And there were real life bases for those people, like the Zodiac sure. Killer and all this stuff. Ed Gein guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think now look at what's the most popular media today. Like what's the most popular television in the show, television show in the world? Game of Thrones. Yeah, I was gonna say probably Game of Thrones at this point. Which has Big no real basis in reality. And that's because I think people just don't want to deal with that bullshit right now. Okay. Hmm. Well, or so how just would the that, return to like Lord of Rings and Tolkien and all that stuff? Yeah. Like, so it, how would that then affect uh, monsters? Because I know I know Mitch Mitch is talking specifically monsters and not necessarily like slasher films. But they're monsters. Like but, J- Jason, Freddy, they're monstrous constructs constructs of like our culture and our society. We we gave birth to Jason. We you know so they're monsters in their own right, but not maybe not like Well, since our last podcast, you know, when I was talking when Garam uh, was here and we were talking and everything and he kept talking about like how when he watches a horror movie, he wants the other. He doesn't want yeah. like the slasher feel like sure. um, you know, because he he feels like he can turn on the TV and see that stuff reported in the news, which Escape unfortunately yeah, yeah, unfortunately you kind of can. Um, but you know, I, I've been thinking about that ever since we had that conversation with him. And as I've been watching Halloween recently and, and you know, uh, Friday the 13th and stuff, I'm like, yeah, I can see his point, even though, like, some of these characters attained kind of a, a monstrous uh, a, a persona, um, you know, showing perhaps, like, you know, uh, parahuman abilities in that like you know jason always seems to regenerate somehow and so does michael myers like you know they're always getting shot hundreds of times and yet they still survive um you know they keep coming back coming at you uh so i mean there is a slight difference there but i can kind of see what guillermo was talking about and that he wants the other he wants the creature the the monster i get that and i i tend towards that as well i mean i love that it's the best stuff for me to read it's the most fun stuff like i enjoy even though it's not quite nearly as abstract as like Lovecraftian like horrors, mm-hmm. but I do like like the vampire tales, all those kinds of things. The things that are not just, oh, this is the slasher hunting babysitters. 
Well, I, I think like if that. you, I think if you go Lovecraftian, like you could even just look to the oceans. You know, we talked about this oh, just yeah. briefly <laughs> last time, because you know the <laughs> oceans are so vast, and it would be so easy to miss something. So is the Meg Lovecraftian? Uh, I don't know if the Meg is Lovecraftian or not. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, a good, that's, that's a good Statham. question. So here's yeah. one out for Jason Statham. Jason, is the Meg Lovecraftian in its origin? <laughs> and if it is... I think the idea of the Meg probably has, <laughs> has some uh, basis in the idea of the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, because, you know, we talk about the Loch Ness Monster being perhaps some type of... Uh, uh, you know, a dinosaur that had mm-hmm. actually hadn't become extinct and somehow has survived for, you know, all these hundreds of years and whatnot. Um, that's perhaps the idea for the Meg is what would be my guess. Okay. So. Well, um, I think where I'd like to kind of like direct it at the end is we've, we've, we've kind of talked about the origin of fear and why we create monsters. Maybe to teach Justin walked in a little bit late. We were talking about the origin of creating a monster to teach a lesson. Like don't go over there because, uh, you know, because uh, you might get hurt. Yeah, you might get hurt. The monsters. Well, see, if you just tell a kid, "Don't go over there. You're gonna fall down and get hurt." That's not. That's they're like. Well, that's, that's less cool. effective. It's less effective. But why is it less effective? It's more effective if you tell them there's a beast that is cognizant of your you and it's going to get you. It's actively seeking to end you. That's more effective than oh, you might fall down and get hurt. Mm-hmm. But um, where was I going with that? I don't really know. I don't really know. Um, so we've talked about <laughs> like that. So I want to talk about now, like, why then if we've used it as a, as a unless you have some way in on that. You know? um, we've used it as a, a teaching tool. We've used it as a societal uh, kind of control. Control. Societal. Like it's it's the catalyst that directs where we go. And, you know, the monster is important. So when it's not teaching a lesson when we are embracing it for fun, what is that signaling? What is the evolutionary purpose of fun monsters? Like we go to the theater, we see something scary. I mean, we've talked, we talked a little bit about last, last podcast about control. Mm-hmm. We have control over that scenario. But when we go and see a monster for fun, what are we doing? I think we're, we're, hmm. I think we get to get that bit of adrenaline rush, that scare, that, you know, those those endorphins even pumping in a safe, controlled environment. So we get all the benefits without the real risk. So, I mean, we put, the, we put ourselves into these situations and we think about it and we imagine what it would like to be in there or even just experience, have the, the empathy to experience whatever the main character is experiencing and being able to be a part of that, but then at the end of the day, step away and say, okay, I'm going to go get in my car and I'm going to drive home and I'm going to be safe and I'm going to tuck myself in the bed and I'll wake up and I'm going to go to work in the morning. So just like that thrill-seeking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. I would think. I, I actually saw some sort of headline earlier, and I, I didn't read it, but I intended to later, that talked about... um, That's loud. Uh, talked about... <laughs> right there. That talked about... I lost my train of thought. You saw a headline? Oh, that it was talking about why we like to see scary movies, and it, and I didn't get a chance to read it, but there was like some psychological research based on, on what that was. So I'll go back and read that at some point <laughs> and find out what the research says. Do you have any theories, Justin? I mean, I know you've studied psychology and you know may have uh, be able to speak to it a little bit, um, but do you have any theories as to why we like to, to watch these scary movies from a psychological standpoint? 
I think that's that's really is. We get to put ourselves in dangerous situations without actually being dangerous, or make ourselves scared without. So is that kind of like a risk. primal thing? Is that kind of like origin? Uh, the origin of that being that well, we still want to push ourselves. I wouldn't say a primal thing, but really just experience emotions. Okay. Um, I think even negative emotions have a purpose. Um, and then that's not even I think. I mean, I know negative emotions have a purpose. It's to warn us of things are dangerous or warn us of unpleasurable events. And and when we get to experience those in a safe format, uh, we get to learn from it. And it's always it's always learning on how you react to things and and what make what's beneficial for you. You know what I like about that is the thought about like why we see the the the, the horror movies in a theater where there's like suddenly like a release where people laugh. Like there's a, they, they inject comedy into it as well because so we can all laugh and that's signaling to the rest of the tribe. It's, it's okay. safe. It's, it's all right. Safe. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, it's certainly different, isn't it? Like when you go to a movie theater and see it in, a, in company of even strangers, but you know you're not alone yes. in, this, in this event versus perhaps watching it at home by yourself. Yeah, you turn off the TV and you turn off the lights and then all of a sudden you just you're a little bit more cautious. You're peeking around <laughs> that corner. You might turn on the light before you enter the room and even though we know it's irrational, there's still just that well, what if somebody is behind that shower curtain? What if they are in here? Mm-hmm. You might just take a little peek just to be like, "Okay, nothing's there." <laughs> no, I can see that. <laughs> yes. I know, well, it's, I know it's, it's different for me because, like, uh, you know, a lot of people like going to movie theaters and, and being with a large audience. I'm completely opposite, I guess. I like to go to the movie theater late at night when there's nobody else there and it's just me in the theater, which makes it interesting when I'm watching horror movies. <laughs> that is interesting. So you actually prefer the, the lone horror experience? Uh, I prefer the lone horror. I, I prefer the lone horror experience, but I also prefer the lone movie experience. Okay. I... Yeah. I, I you know, I for the most part, when I go to see a movie, I wait until the very last showing on a night when there's going to be nobody in the theater. Sure. And I'll go and I'll, I'll buy my ticket and it's just me. I can't argue that. I respect that. I like the, the solo movie experience as mm-hmm. well. Like, I, I don't want to be disrupted. Right. But the phenomenon of the of the uh, tension and the laugh in a crowd, though, is interesting, though, mm-hmm. still. Well, and see, that's that's the interesting thing, right? Because like Justin said, when you're in a crowd and everybody laughs and you get that signal that everything's okay, yeah. right? Because you, you pick up on the cue from, from the herd, perhaps. Well, that, that's some thought about why we have laughter in the first place, mm-hmm. as that it's a, it's a uh, herd oh. mentality-like signal. It's our human in signal that, oh, it's okay. It's all right. It's a release valve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why some cultures, like when they're embarrassed or in an uncomfortable situation, they smile. Because, you know, some people might take it as like, oh, they're fucking laughing at me. Like, what a jerk. But it's really because it's trying to signal to the other person, like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm no threat. I'm a yeah. threat. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, see, that, that brings about the idea, too, because I know, like, different cultures have come up with different monsters and stuff. And, you know, there are probably different reasons for things. And I know in psychology, we talk about, like, you know, what is considered a cultural norm because different cultures have different cultural norms. And I wonder just how that affects the uh, the idea of movie monsters. I mean, we've had things come out of Japan, right? Like The Ring, like mm-hmm. that got its origin based in Japan. And we had all these movies coming out where these creatures seem to be more ghost-like, yet they could touch you and do harm and stuff, versus like the American movie monsters. Um, it, it seemed like there was, what, back in the... I want to say 2000s is kind of when we started getting like the ring and all of those type of movies. Yeah. 
and seeing more come from other other cultures to America. Yeah. And of course, we Americanized him and probably ruined him. I, I don't know. Did you see the uh, let me in and let the right one in? I, I've seen, yeah, I have actually. Both There's were Both were actually really good. I yeah. was actually really impressed. But no, I get what you're saying. You're, yeah. We, we have a tendency to jack it up. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, we Americanize everything. Well, and... I, I'm interested that that uh, interests me because I think maybe it might have just been more um, out of ideas. Like, we don't know what else, what other stories to tell. So now we're going to import stories. Because there was like that sudden rush of Japanese horror mm-hmm. in those early aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I do think it was because we were coming out of like the 80s with slasher films had been done. The 90s were kind of a dearth of like horror films except for Scream mm-hmm. kind of brought it back a little bit. But then they were like, okay, what else do we do now? Yeah, but even Scream was a little bit different because Scream itself was kind of a satire. Sure. In a way, um, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, of course, I, I guess, you know, like the 80s were nothing but like just blood and guts really. Yeah. And almost gratuitous violence, or gratuitous super sex. Weird freaks, like you said, like Chud, because you're a big fan of the Chud. Uh, I would not know if I was a big critters. fan, but you like the critters. Critters was interesting. Ghoulies, you remember ghoulies? Ghoulies, critters, gremlins, leprechaun, a whole, like leprechaun, a whole fear of little little monsters. Mm-hmm. Pumpkinhead. Yeah. The Howling. I like giant monsters. Little yeah. monsters don't scare me. Big so monsters like, scare me. So you know, and it's something we didn't touch on last time. But so, would you consider the movie Alien? To be a horror movie Alien or a science a fiction movie. movie? Alien's a horror movie. Horror movie. Really? Yeah. 100%. Because I've always viewed it as a science fiction it is. movie. Science I think it's fiction both. horror, yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I guess I could see that. I guess I, I guess I pictured like... It's a haunted house movie. Is it a haunted house movie? Absolutely. Because your house is haunted by aliens? Yeah. It's a, it's or, a haunted alien? house movie. Alien is a haunted house movie set in space. Really? Hmm. Go back and watch it. I guess I'll have to go back and watch it with that idea in mind because yeah. I've always viewed it as like a sci-fi movie. And then for like Aliens 2, I did not consider that like either sci-fi or horror. I consider that more of like action adventure <laughs> <laughs> because it just had like an action adventure feel to me. Sure. So I, I never really thought of it. I, I, any of the Alien movies is like horror. Um, I guess most of them I've considered more like sci-fi, if anything. But then, like I said, with two, I thought of it more as like a an action adventure flick. Yeah. I mean, I guess kind of that's kind of the same way I viewed Predator too. I suppose it's probably supposed to be a horror movie, but I always thought of it more as an action adventure you know flick because they were in the military and they had guns. I that's an interesting bring up because those two monsters are pitted against one another in popular culture quite frequently. I don't view Predator as a horror movie. Do you, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. Action. Action movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like What's action. the difference? Why do we why do we draw that difference? Because I do. Instinctually, I draw a difference between those two. Mm-hmm. I think because Alien attempts to prey on our fears. Okay. I think it, 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 you know, what's lurking in the dark. And while Predator is hidden and camouflage and there's lots of guns, it just feels action. It doesn't feel horror. Whereas I feel Alien is intentionally trying to create suspense in the viewer. I don't get suspense from Predator. I get entertainment, like action. Could, it be, could it be the difference in motivation between the creatures? Because like Alien, mm-hmm. like the aliens really don't have motivation other than just to kill. Like there's really no motivation. Whereas Predator is is looking, well, Predator was looking for trophies. But did we know that early on or are you like, like Um, retconning like later? Well, I'm probably, I'm probably retconning like later. We knew that he was, that the Predator was looking for trophies. But even in the first one, you kind of get the feel that it wasn't quite, you know, that wasn't motivated like the aliens. Like it was just, I must kill. It just felt like an enemy. Right. It was more of a war movie. Right. It felt like a war movie. 
I think that movie we're, we're really spinning off now, but I think that yeah. movie was more Vietnam uh, impact, like uh, mm-hmm. influenced. Well, they were in the jungle. <clears throat> yes, well, that true. too. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. No, I'm just uh, I'm just kind of curious because, like I said, with Alien, um, the first one, I always thought of it as like sci-fi, but never horror. Well, we can we could have a whole discussion on breaking down the genres of horror because there is sci-fi horror. There's mm-hmm. Uh, supernatural horror mm-hmm. there's um slasher there's uh mutant i guess you could you could say things like um uh hills have eyes or you know oh, like yeah, yeah. kind of thing where it's like or even the episode which i've watched maybe once maybe twice total ever the episode of x files called home I don't know if either of you have ever seen that episode. One of the most horrifying episodes of television ever. Even when it aired originally, they made them push it back an hour from its original airtime. Because they're like, this is a fucked up show. You guys can't be showing this like this late. Or really? This early at night. Yeah, it's it's. What was the, really the premise up. behind that one? I'm just curious. It's a really horrifying kind of like Texas Chainsaw incestuous monster episode it was oh really wait, wait, wait wait was that the one where it was like the mom was kept under the bed or something yes and that's all of one. her sons were having sex with her Dude, and stop don't even talk about okay. it why are you gonna talk about it no no i've seen that one oh, that'd be cool it was very much like hills have eyes or like or <laughs> yeah, like texas chainsaw be. massacre but type there were a thing. lot of like sub genres of horror and then gotcha. you know maybe like your like super nat- uh like religious horror and I, so yeah see the Aliens religious sci-fi horror the religious horror i've always kind of shied away from and and I, those are some of my favorite. Those really? are my favorite. Really? Well, I mean, I grew up Catholic, so like oh. when you talk about teaching lessons and inferring morals, mm-hmm. that's what you know. Demons are bad. Demons are fucking scary. So growing up, you know, when I see you know demonic either film or whatever, then I'm like, oh shit, that's fucking taboo. Like, I shouldn't be watching this shit. Like, that's kind of interesting because Guillermo had kind of the same uh, response regarding yeah. that too. Yeah, and he was back to the original also, message. Is, is he was also were, raised Catholic. Yeah, they were built to taught. They were built to teach fear of you know things you shouldn't be messing with, hmm. whether it's sex, drugs, just bad shit. Well, that's that's got to be a difference in upbringing too, because I mean I, I don't know about you, Mitch, but like coming from like being raised Latter Day Saint and everything, uh, we never really talked For about our like, audience who doesn't demons. understand Latter Day Saint. Oh, Mormon, whatever. <laughs> uh, we never really were taught like demons, right? We were taught that okay, if God exists, then Satan exists. But we were never taught like anything about demons. We were taught that like it's like, a pretty it's a pretty safe safe non scary religion. I yeah. was never they never talked to me about demons or well like, because like, they don't exist. My favorite book was Revelations, but I just because I'm also metal. And well, listen to a lot of Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, were you guys told if you're bad, you're going to hell? Not necessarily. Well, I mean, that was a common yeah. like known thing like growing yeah. up Catholic. Like if you do bad shit, you're going to hell. Yeah, you burn. go to hell. You will burn. With the yeah. demons. See, well, they never see, mentioned demons. That's because there's no such Just thing Lucifer. as demons, right? Because um, we were taught that, like, you know, er, everything... There's demons. there's demons. Yeah. We Maybe were, not in the traditional sense, but they're out there. The demon alcohol. Well, okay, so this is like me. This demon is like me alcohol. with, like, like ghosts and shit, you. too. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a non-believer as far as that stuff goes. Oh, I didn't say anything about ghosts. I don't believe uh, in ghosts. But you believe in uh, demons? I believe in ghosts. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. You believe in demons, but you don't believe in Not in the supernatural aspect. Okay, so what are we talking about exactly? How do you quantify a demon? Immoral um, people who do evil things without rhyme or reason. Hmm, okay. Or immoral or irrational motivations. 
I'm glad you added more than just a moral onto that, because otherwise I'd be a demon. <laughs> I don't think so. How many people have you killed? Uh, you know, I can't really release that number on the podcast. I'd be incriminating myself. No, I'm talking about like like legit. No, like you're, you're talking like you're evil talking people. Like, you're talking like uh, like uh, Dahmer, like yeah. Gain, like you know those kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Or even just the demons people struggle with internally. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have to be like a physical manis- manifestation of something. So, so just out of curiosity, because like you know when you're talking about Catholicism and demons, mm-hmm. I'm guessing in Catholicism when they talked about demons, they were talking about like an actual creature coming from like Usually, pits yeah. of hell or something, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about a demon, you're talking about like a person who is like as you say amoral and has committed heinous acts. That or has those, those either influences or motivations or whatever. Okay. Because there's good people who are also influenced by negative thoughts, negative feelings, okay. and well, unfortunately, and then, and like, then that's that's you know, metaphorical. Then when you're talking about those type of demons, you're talking about like the the struggles that people have internally. Is it metaphorical? I mean, because a lot of it can be actually biological. Start talking about things like schizophrenia. Like, people that are good people that don't want to do bad things are compelled to do bad things because they either hear things or see things that tell them that they have to. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, they'll suffer these horrible consequences. Hmm. Interesting. And when successfully treated, these same people are normal, functioning people who can go to work, hold a job, have a family, and care for other people. Mm -hmm. But when they're not treated, they will do bad, evil things. And that's not to say all schizophrenic people because obviously right. it's a big spectrum of behavior. Right. But the very far end, the extremes, do have that potential. Right. That would, and that would and that's, not, that's not metaphorical. That's biological. Right. But I mean, uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that you're using demon in several... The, the word demon you're using mm-hmm. in several different ways. And it depends on the context in which you're speaking about it. You know, like I said, initially we were talking about demons from a... Uh, Catholic point of view, but that talking is talking about like an actual creature. But I mean, all, pretty much all religions, and especially Christianity, when you talk about that, is all open to interpretation. While it mm-hmm. might talk about something as being a physical manifestation of something, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that's what they're actually talking about. Okay, okay. So I mean, that, that's just kind well, of cornerstone of religion. To, that's what I'm trying to understand. Because, like I said, like you and Guillermo both kind of talked a little bit about like the like the religious horror films. You know, having a, a particular impact because of your upbringing and your your Catholic background, whereas for me, and you know, I'm just speaking for myself, but I know you know, Mitch, you were also raised LDS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the LDS religion, we don't talk about demons; mm-hmm. uh, we talk about spirits. You know, so like even in the Bible, where it talks about like you know Christ casting out demons, mm-hmm. he's not really casting out a demon as in a creature, right? But he's casting out an evil spirit. Uh, you know, one of the hosts of heaven that went with Satan. More literal as a definition of demon being a an entity right. with an identity that is conscious. Right, mm-hmm. okay. right. So that's what I'm trying to. I'm trying to just kind of determine like exactly what we're talking about. You know, and how exactly we're quantifying the use of the word demon, and in what context. Mm-hmm. Because like as you've gone through talking about like a demon in a in a Catholic setting mm-hmm. versus a demon in a psychiatric like, setting, a psych- yeah. psychiatric setting. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we all agree because it's in, it's in the lexicon that we, that we all use, you know, when we talk about people having demons, mm-hmm. you know, whether it being like something like, like alcohol abuse or like, you know, yeah. Yeah. We, we talk about, we talk about like people having these struggles and we refer to them as demons. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that it's an internal struggle. 
Uh, and I know you, you're talking about like, you know, biological, I can see that, you know, that does make sense because I know that there are certain things that people can't control. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about like people struggling with like things like autism, um, you know, that being a spectrum disorder. Uh, and these are physical things, depression, you know, people struggle with depression and it's not something that they can control. It's not something they want. It's a biological mm -hmm. thing. So, and then th those would be considered like demons, you know, the, the depression, schizophrenia. So depending on the context, we're, we're using the same word, but we're describing different things in different contexts. And it feels like an evolution. Like when you bring it back to the original topic of like, what, what is the purpose of monsters and what purpose do they serve? I mean, isn't that even just the basic point of religion? Is really to teach morals and teach life lessons. Mm -hmm. um, so is religion a monster? It can be. It absolutely can be. And there's really monsters great. contained within religion. That's true. Yeah. No, that's a really good point you guys are discussing. Um, it's something worth looking at because we are... Hmm, yeah. Go on. I'm sorry. Yes. Well, I was going to say, like, so, you know, we have we have cults, right? You know, and, and, mm -hmm. and cult is a negative term in our culture uh, because the word cult conjures images of people doing heinous things in the name of religion, uh, you know, and being misled and, and even to the point where, you know, people will commit mass suicides within these cults. Um, so we have, have different religions, I'm using the air quotes again, uh, that do have some negative impact. Um, so and then, in the course of, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, and then of course, you know, I think that, uh, that some of these things, even, you know, like, like benevolent religions still do attract certain types of, uh, people with a specific mindset. Um, you know, I've seen it up in the white mountains where, where sure. even like, you know, in the LDS religion, you'll have like people who are attracted, who are kind of extreme in their, their beliefs on certain things. Oh, was that the end? That was the end of what I had to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what I'm wondering is, is I mean, uh, um, the evolution of religion, the evolution of um, the human mind, the conscience of the human mind. We have like this um, inner voice that tells us what's to do right, what's wrong, and then we start using terms like demon, and we look at it from a biological standpoint. All these things are tied together. There's like this intrinsic bond between these outer demons that we create and these inner demons that are within ourselves and within the human the human existence the human experience and i just think that it's very interesting because at the end of the day we're trying to find slayers for these demons slayers for the monsters and what purpose are they serving whether it be religious whether it be moral whether it's cultural or societal it's interesting to me the importance of monsters well, I think monsters. You don't, you don't have a culture without monster. Well, I think. I think unpacking is that what you? No, that was you. Nice little bow right on top. <laughs> that was a good job. You tied everything together. You're That's just true. Like, you did tie it together. Monsters are really important. Nice. Okay, so cool. Let's tie it up. Is there, we have parting thoughts before we head out on this Halloween to go see what kind of trouble we can get into out there in the big, wide, scary world full of monsters. Uh, Justin, anything as we go? No, nothing for me. Okay. Well, uh, keep it spooky. Keep it spooky. Damn, he <laughs> took it from me. I was just going to say, watch where you swim. Watch where you swim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still I'm still most fearful of the monsters in the water, right? I, that's fine. That's Those are scary monsters. They are scary. All right. Mostly. 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 They come out at night, mostly. They mostly come out at night, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, iconic. All right. Well, hey, from uh, the Red Room, and much appreciation to all that have joined us. Um, uh, this is Mitch Proctor. Just the Medicore. 
Mike Arvig. And uh, have a spooky night. Thanks again. Thanks, Mitch. Bye. Goodbye.